be seated. Thank you, Miss Carol. almost couldn't wait to just jump up here and get started. We've got stuff to do now. We've got work to do in the Word. God has things to teach us. I hope you're hearing today. God has greater things to do in your life than you are even capable of knowing today. You have dreams and goals and thoughts about your own life, but only the Spirit of God can awaken in you what He really has for you. And it's bigger, I promise you, it's bigger than what you can think or imagine today. And it requires the Spirit of God within us to know those things, to be awakened to those things. So I'm asking you today, as I'm asking myself, stay alert to what God has to say today. Stay alert to His Spirit. We believe His Word is true. We believe that the Spirit of God is here. We believe He has things to say to us today. So I'm going to keep my mind focused. I'm going to keep my mind sharp. I'm not going to think about later today. I'm not going to think about anybody else on my row. I'm thinking about what the Spirit of God has to say to me today. Amen? There are things that God wants to do in our life, and they are, they are ways and they are involving thoughts that are higher than our thoughts. In the book of Isaiah, it says that His, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. And sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in our ways, in doing things the way we want to do it, in the way we think it ought to go, and trying to make it happen in our own strength. And sometimes we get into patterns We get into our way. We start walking in the way we think we ought to go. And God's trying to say to you and me, I've got something bigger. I've got something more glorious than what you're walking in. Keep listening to me. The thing is, when I start walking in my way, in my pattern, in my walk, I can become blinded to what God's trying to do. Even if I am a child of his. And so sometimes God will introduce something in my path to stop me. To to call me up. I don't mean up, but I mean like up. Get my eyes up because it's easy to do this. And God says, no, I need you to do this. I need you to keep focused because I... I have a way, different than your way. And sometimes God will introduce what you didn't expect to bring you to a place of some things you never expected. So today, as we continue our series, Fresh Start, I want us to think about the power of God's unexpected moments. When God brings the unexpected into our lives and all of a sudden our schedule is upended. All of a sudden what we had on the calendar doesn't work anymore. When all of a sudden what we thought was going to take place doesn't. We're in the book of Acts and we are uh, about six chapters, eight chapters in. We've been looking at how God did a fresh work on the earth when he did pour out his spirit. Just as was prayed here today. There came a time that Jesus came to planet earth. There was a day that Jesus returned to heaven. And he said, I go that I might send another. And the father did. He sent the spirit, his very essence, to be here on the earth and to fill believers in ways they had never been filled before. And we've watched through the book of Acts how God has done that. And how miraculous things began to happen as people believed this truth. As they walked in it, God began to do signs and wonders, it says in the book of Acts. We met a man last week in our study named Stephen. He was a man who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And he got introduced into some very difficult situations. But he was committed to preaching and following Jesus Christ. And he did, even when it cost him his life. And you might think by reading the story... Well, he lost in the end, and we found, no, he was actually invincible in the end. You might have taken his body, but you didn't take his spirit. You might have taken him for the time, but you didn't take his story, because we're still preaching that same story today. We're still talking about Stephen today. As Stephen was uh, being stoned, as we read in the book of Acts, it just mentions in passing that there was 
one man who was off to the side watching, who was taking it all in as Stephen was arrested in town and brought out, and as he was taken outside of town, and as they began to stone him, there was a man standing nearby. It just says he was watching. His name was Saul. And it just kind of passes over the fact that he's introduced in the story at that level. Saul becomes the apostle Paul. And today, we're going to see how God used the unexpected in his life to do what he never expected in his life. So we're in Acts chapter 8 today. We're going to pick up a verse or two there. We're going to jump into 9. So if you're following in your Bible or if you have an app that you're following along, it's Acts chapter 8. I'll be using the New King James Version today if you're looking to match Acts chapter 8, it says this, At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. The believers who were in Jerusalem were beginning to experience even greater persecution. Stephen's been stoned and there's this public movement now against anyone who follows or calls on the name of Jesus. It's almost as though they were saying of anyone that followed Jesus, that they had a mental disability for believing that Jesus spoke to them. Anybody follow the news this week? You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus has spoken to me, and I speak to Jesus. It's part of the process. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you speak to him, but he speaks to you. It's what happens. I don't make any excuses for that. I'm not ashamed of that. Stephen wasn't either, and it became part of the message that's going to change a man named Saul. Amen? So this persecution is developing, and it's not faring well physically, outwardly, for anyone who follows Jesus Christ and lives in Jerusalem at the time. It's not a good time physically to be there because they are persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ. It goes on in verse 3, and it says this, as for Saul, here he is, He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul, he's he's making havoc. He's the one really causing such turmoil. He's really causing a disturbance because he's, he's going into people's houses that he has heard are followers of Jesus Christ, and he's taking them right out of their house, and he's taking them and arresting them, putting them in to prison. And you might think, man, what a godless guy. What a man filled with hatred and bitterness. And I would say, you're exactly right. But know this, Saul was a very religious man at this time. He was He says of himself later, Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law. He called upon God. He worshiped God. He knew the law and taught the law. He sought to be the best of the best when it came to religious people. And here he is persecuting and imprisoning people who follow Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me? It's possible to be all wrapped up in church even and not know Jesus Christ. And be filled with anger and resentment and bitterness. Saul was a man going his way, doing his thing. And it's hard anytime you try to convince somebody they're going in the wrong path, right? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever talked to that family member, that friend, and you're trying to convince them, hey, I'm not sure the way you're headed is really a good direction. And they just look at you like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they actually pers- try to persuade you that they are right. This would have been Saul. He was, he was not just committed and believing he was doing the right thing. He was actually believing he was doing the God thing in his life. And if there's anybody that's more difficult to bring change to is somebody going in the wrong direction who thinks they are doing it with God's direction. 
Ooh, it's tough. Because you try to say to them, you know you're not following God's ways. And they say, yes, I am. Well, you know you're not following and walking according to Scripture. Yes, I am. And it's just, you're just arguing with a stump at that point, right? You know what I'm talking about? And this is Saul at this point. He is convinced that going and grabbing up people who follow Jesus and putting them in prison is the right thing to do. He's convinced that snatching a dad up out of his home who's the provider for the family and putting him in prison is the right thing to do. He's convinced that snatching up a mom who has little babies at home and putting her in prison, he's convinced that's the right thing to do. He's convinced it's okay to be brutal, to be cruel, to murder, because they follow Jesus Christ. This is our man Saul. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 is where I want to jump to. Our story picks up there with Saul again. It says, Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. There was such persecution in Jerusalem that the the followers of Jesus sought another city to go to, another place. And Damascus, for a time, becomes that place. And Saul says, I'm headed there next. I need some permission. And he's seeking it from the high priest to go and have authority to go and arrest Jesus' followers. And Saul is a man out to build his religious resume. Saul is a man out to stop this Jesus-following group. Saul is a man, by his own words, would later say he was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, and concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He was a man who saw himself as blameless, yet he's murdering and imprisoning people who love Jesus. The story goes on in verse 3, and it says this, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. He began to get close to the place he thought he needed to get to. If he could just get to Damascus, he might could put a greater end to this thing. If he could just get to Damascus, he might could put a stop to this. If he could get to Damascus, he might could build up some more of his own religious resume. If he could get to Damascus, he could really show the other Pharisees and the Jews what kind of man he really was. He was out to do something and prove something, and he's on his way. And while he is on his way doing his thing, and what he thinks is right, God is going to do something completely unexpected in his life. The story is about to get interrupted. You ever had your story interrupted? It's playing out in a way you thought it was going to go. And then all of a sudden, something outside of your control interrupts it, changes it even to the point that you're not sure it could ever look like it was, in your mind, going to be again. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, unexpectedly, a light shone around him from heaven. It's not natural thing. This isn't just the sun shining. Scripture's not trying to make up something for something that already was. It wasn't just that a cloud moved. It wasn't that it just became morning. No, he is on his way, and suddenly a light comes down and encircles him. From what we're going to read in the rest of Scripture, he's going to be with some other people, but we will clearly understand this light is isolated on Saul. It's not for the others in this moment. In fact, there's going to be some others with him who will be completely blind to what's happening. This light suddenly captures Saul. God interrupts with his purpose. Our first big truth this morning is this, is that God will interrupt your pursuits with the unexpected. He will. He will do it. 
He'll do it if you haven't called upon his name, and he'll do it after you've called upon his name. You'll be walking your path, doing what you believe is actually right, and all of a sudden, something you had not planned will occur. God will introduce something unexpected in that moment. His goal is not to destroy you. His goal is not to condemn you. His goal is to free you. His goal is to turn you around. His goal is to get you to lift up your eyes to him. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to save you. He's trying to move you in his direction. And God will do that. He'll interrupt your path so that you can learn to follow him. So let me talk to you for just a moment about the ongoing uh, saga of Callie, the new puppy. She's getting bigger. Oh, man, is she getting bigger. And so Heather is in this training phase with her, and part of this training phase involves going on walks often because there's something that happens in this process of walking your dog. Uh, They get some energy out for one, but if they're trained properly, they learn how to walk with you, the master. They learn how to see you. They learn how to walk at your pace. They learn how to stay at your side and not venture off into other areas. But that, that skill doesn't come easy for a puppy. If you've ever tried to walk a dog that hasn't had any training, you know what I'm talking about. So Heather starts off with this leash that's, you know, kind of long. All right, Callie, here we go. That's Heather walking around the neighborhood. That's how it was for a little while. But if you know Heather, she doesn't do this for very long. Pretty soon, she's like, sit. You got to bring some training to a dog. You got to let them know, hey, this walk is not all about you. This, This is not you leading. This is not about you getting to do what you want. This is about you walking right by my side. I'm the master. You're the servant. Let's go. It takes some training to get to that point for a dog and for people yes. <laughs> and for followers of Jesus Christ, right? It does. You got to teach your children that. You got to keep teaching your teenagers that. And you got you to teach followers of Jesus Christ that as well. And so Heather said, you know, this, um, this process is not going so well. I'm going to need to get a different leash. So she does. She gets a leash It's got a loop on one end that she holds with this hand, that it comes around your back, and it's got another loop right here that you hold here, and the distance from this loop to the dog's collar is only about that far, is not very long. And so guess what Callie can't do much of anymore? She can't just run off wherever she wants. Now we've got a short leash That's what you have to have when you're trying to train a dog. And so now she wants to still do what she used to do, but she has to be upended sometimes. She has to be drawn close sometimes. And so I'm walking with Heather, and I'm watching all of this, and Callie's still wanting to dart out there. And this is a completely safe collar designed for this one purpose. When the dog gets out just a little too far, you pull back, and it goes... It's what you have to do. If you're going to help her know, you can't do that. Every once in a while, it's got to be, and that's what happens. If you see Heather now go for a walk, it looks more like this. It's it's difficult to get a rhythm going and all that. It's just tough. But it's all in the training. You see, the master sacrifices a lot when he's trying to teach the servant something. Are you hearing me? That's what the Father does with us. He sacrifices so that we might be drawn up, brought near. And sometimes he'll introduce into your life a... So that you'll pay attention. So that you'll stop and say, oh, I thought for just a moment this was all about me. Right? He'll introduce a little short chain in your life 
to sometimes get your attention so that you won't think, this is all about me doing whatever I want to do. He'll introduce the unexpected in your life so that you can really accomplish the unexpected in your life. There's greater days ahead for Callie. I keep hoping. So, no, I believe there is. There is. Heather keeps telling me that. So, uh, let's go on to uh, verse 4 because Saul has this chain moment, this uh, collar collar pull moment where this bright light shines on him. And look what happens in verse 4. It says, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wow. The chain gets pulled and he falls to the ground. Great move, Saul. This is what you've needed to do for a long time. He fell to the ground. He went to a place of submission. He went to the lowest place. He stopped pulling against the chain. He stopped exerting his own will. And he fell to the ground. And then he heard a voice. It's interesting that it's in that order. He fell to the ground. Then he heard a voice. You won't hear the voice until you humble yourself low. Saul does what he ought to do. He goes to the ground and he hears the voice. Saul, Saul, if you get your name called twice, you know this is important. Saul, Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? Now, be clear. God already knew the answer. He doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know. He asks questions so that we will have to deal with the question. When you have to deal with the question, there's something about hearing it and saying it, even in your head, that causes you to have to deal with reality all of a sudden. And this is happening for Saul. The next thing that happens in verse 5, it says that, And he, Saul, said, Who are you, Lord? Saul is clueless as to who this is. He uses this great term of respect. Who are you, Lord? He recognizes he's someone of great power, someone to be reverenced, someone who has greater powers than him. And he says, who are you, Lord? Here is Here is Jesus standing in front of Saul, and Saul hasn't got a clue who it is. He is completely blind. Then Jesus responds in the second part of verse 5, and he says, Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, let's be certain of this. There is no record of Saul ever laying a hand on Jesus. But be clear of this. There's plenty of record of Saul laying his hands on the followers of Jesus. And if you touch the followers of Jesus, you just touch Jesus. Jesus himself is saying it. Why are you persecuting me? And then in the next part of verse 5, he says, It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Very unusual phrase, sentence, not one we use in our day. It's Jesus who's speaking to Saul here. He says, Saul, I'm having to jerk your chain here a little bit. I'm having to pull you up short because you're headed in a direction and I've got to stop you. I've got something to say to you. You're walking counter to everything that I want for you. You're walking counter to everything that I'm doing right now. And I'm not going to let you keep persecuting my people. And he calls him up short. And he says to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads 
is a term that was used in reference to uh, someone who had oxen, and they were trying to lead them, guide them, point them in a direction. And what they used was a stick with a very, very sharp point on it. And so if you wanted to help guide them, you couldn't just say, here, oxy, 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 oxy. That just didn't work. They have to have something a little bit more. And so the wise leader had this stick with a point, and he would poke them with it. And when you got poked, you knew, well, I don't want to go that way anymore if you were a, a smart ox. I didn't say donkeys this morning because you wouldn't want to be a dumb one of those or a smart one of those either. So if you were a smart ox, you would pay attention when you got poked. You knew if you got poked, it was time to scoot over and move up or do something, but don't just stand there. And the thing that you didn't want to do and what some dumb oxes did is they would kick back against the poke. You know, they would resist and like, hey, you know, kind of that kind of thing. If you're an ox, that's what they would do. And that's what they, they're doing. And so Jesus says to Saul, he says, Saul, it's hard when you keep kicking against the goads. I keep poking you, Saul. I've been directing you. I've been speaking to you. And every time I speak to you, you keep resisting. You keep pushing. You keep pushing back. You keep kicking at me instead of walking forward in the direction I've got for you. And when you kick against it, you're going to hurt yourself. That goad is going to goad right into you. Because you aren't going, goading, yeah, all that. You're supposed to be moving and you keep resisting and it's going to hurt you. Saul, I've been speaking to you for some time. Please don't think this is the only time that Jesus ever has spoken to Saul. Oh, the Spirit of God has been speaking to him for a while. I have to believe that every time open, that, that Saul opened the law as a Jew and as a Pharisee, and as he was reading, and as he read from Isaiah, and he saw he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I have to know that every time Saul read that, he had to have some moment of some clarity, but he had to just push back at that and say, no, 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 that, that just can't be true. That can't be, that can't be talking about Jesus. And every time he, he'd read from Isaiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He, he pushed that out of his mind. Every time God spoke to him, he just kept pushing back against it. He just kept resisting against it. And when Saul was there watching Stephen be stoned, and he began to feel some emotion, began to feel moved, he began to see what God was doing there, he kept pushing back against it, and it was crushing Saul inside. Have you ever taken a period of time in your life where you just kept resisting everything God was saying to you? Where he's speaking to you about something very specific and you just keep saying, mm -mm, oh, Lord, I mm -mm, can't do it. Not going to do it. I'm going to think about something else. You know, that kind of thing where you keep pushing it off. You keep not doing it. You keep resisting. You keep putting it off. And every time you do, you're only bringing more pain into your life. You keep walking that way, and he's trying to get you to go that way, and you just keep kicking against the goads. And this is what's happening. Saul is repeatedly disconnecting God from the reality of his life. He's pushing him out of his mind when it comes to reading the law. He's pushing him out of his mind when he started thinking about relationships. He's pushing him out of his mind when he starts thinking about Stephen that day. And it happens today for people as well. They sit in church services just like this and they hear scripture and the spirit of God is speaking personally to them. And what God wants is us to say, yes, Lord. But we begin to practice something that sounds like this. Mm -mm. No way. I am not going to do that. Oh, you don't say it out loud, but inwardly you're having that conversation. And for some of you, it's happening right now. God is speaking to you, has been speaking to you, and you have got your no going. You're resisting, you're refusing. And for some of you, it's been going for so long that you even have stopped hearing God. 
That's what happens. You keep resisting, it'll just deafen you. And Saul says, or Jesus says to Saul, it's difficult when you keep kicking against what I'm trying to do in your life. Our next big point this morning is this. It is possible to be blind to the hand of God in your life. To be at a place where God is working and you don't even see it. Let me illustrate this. Aaron, come help me for just a moment. Let's give a big hand to Aaron here. He helped us last week. Aaron got to be Jesus last week. Come come down here this time, Aaron. He got to be Jesus last week, but not so today. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I have a a blindfold. So, Aaron, if you don't mind, I'm going to blindfold you here. Can you see anything? Nope. Good. I'm going to do it tight, but not too tight. And the good news is all you have to do is just stand here. Can you see anything? You can't see anything. That's what happens. That's what happens when you keep resisting and you keep refusing to do what God's asked you to do. When you say, Lord, I am, I am not going to go have that conversation. I am not going to forgive them. I'm just not going to do that. Lord, I am not. When that happens, you become blind. And God's trying to do some things in your life. He's trying to give you some things, but you don't even know it. It's clueless. When you're blind, you don't know. It can all be handed right to you. And you can't take the blessing because you're blind to it. People try to share things with you. And and you you can't see. You, You can't see any of it. You don't even know that it's happening. There's stuff going on, and you're totally blind to it. God brings people into your life, and He's trying to use you to even work in their life, but you're totally clueless to it. It's because you have built up a pattern of saying no. I'm going to help you see, Aaron. There you go. Give a big hand to Aaron. Aaron, what you missed is that there are a lot of opportunities that were right in front of you. You missed every one of them. But that's what happens. When you keep saying, no, Lord, no, Lord, no, Lord, you become blind. It's what happened to Saul. It's very interesting that this is what God uses to get his attention. He actually will blind him. The story goes on in verse 6, and it says, So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Wow. Saul, perfect answer. Saul, it looks like the light's coming on. I love every part of this verse. So he... Saul wasn't traveling alone. He had other men with him. But if you keep reading the story, you find that this was happening to Saul and the others. They're just looking at him like, what is going on with him? What's he doing on the ground? Weird. Y'all seen Saul act like this before? They don't know. They don't get it. But Saul, he's down on his, on his face on the ground. And he's talking to Jesus, whom these other men can't see. So he, trembling and astonished, he is allowing there to be a connection now between his emotions and God. You know, sometimes we come to church experiences like this or worship settings, and God begins to move even in our emotions, and we do the craziest thing. We say, "Mm, mm, mm, not going to cry, not going to cry, I'm not going to cry. Right? You know what I'm talking about? No, no tears, no tears. Now, I'm not going to do that, you know. You're like, why? Why would you not 
let God into every part of who you are, even if it meant shedding a tear. Come on. Saul, he's trembling and astonished. He's not afraid to express what's happening to him. And then he even speaks. He says this out loud. Lord, what do you want me to do? How beautiful. What a, what a voice and statement of surrender. What do you want me to do? He was no longer, okay, I'm going to do better from now on. Okay, I know I messed up. No, it was a place of complete surrender. Lord, acknowledging him as the one in authority. What do you want me to do? I have surrendered myself completely. I give my allegiance to you. You are Lord. I give up my heart. I speak and I give up my will. What do you want me to do? You see, fresh starts happen when we release all conditions. This story is is turning right before our eyes. Saul is being changed in some powerful ways. But that kind of stuff only happens when you're willing to release all the conditions in the matter. I will if, I will as long as, I will if I see that. Those are all self-protective, arrogant, fear-based responses to Jesus. And Jesus is looking for the man and the woman and the student and the child who will say what Saul said. Lord, what do you want me to do? Whatever it is, I'll do it. If it means getting out of my comfort zone, I'll do it. If it means surrendering my will, I'm there. If it means giving up my reputation and what other people think of me, I'll do it. If it means getting rid of my pride, I'll do it. It is a place of complete surrender without any respect to the others. Saul didn't look and say, well, I will as soon as they will. Whoa. He didn't. This moment was between him and God. And he was going to surrender everything. And he does. He does in this moment. You see, the area that you say in your life, I'm not going to, will be the area that you become blinded. If you're saying to God about your finances, God, I am not going to do that. I mean, I've got my stuff I need to do. If that is your response to God, pretty soon you will become blind to God in that area of your life. You'll harden your heart. If you keep saying in your relationship, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to forgive. I'm not going to be patient. I'm not going to be kind. Pretty soon, you will be the one blind in that situation. And you'll wonder, where is God in my relationships? You pick the area. It'll be the area you find yourself blind. Saul is laid out. Lord, what do you want me to do? It goes on in verse 6, and it says, Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Interesting. Love this. Jesus gives Saul direction. But look at how much direction he gives him. Go into the city. Stop. Then you'll be told what to do. So many of us, and I am so guilty of this, I want to know what happens 
in the second step, third step, fourth step. I want to know a week from now, a year from now, five years from now. If I can know that and know how it turns out, then I'll say yes. Hello? Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? You know, we want to hold on to it all. We want to, we want to control the moment. And Jesus says, I'm not looking for you to control the moment. Saul, you've been controlling your moment for far too long. And he says to us that you've been controlling your moments for far too long. It's time for you to let go. It's time for you to take the next step. And I'm not going to tell you anything else about what's going to happen until you take the step. You got to take that one step, whatever it is. Well, I don't know how there can ever be reconciliation in my marriage. It's just too big, too hard, too much. Well, would you please forgive your spouse? Well, I'm not until I know for you know, and all and on we go. And then you're not going to get any direction about what's out there until you take that first step. Well, God, I don't know how I'm ever getting my finances in order. I just can't imagine how it's going to be. It's just way too out of whack. Well, I want you to give. Lord, I, well, that just doesn't even make sense. God doesn't give the answer to the second step until you've taken the first step. Then you'll be told what to do. If you don't take the first step, you can't know the second. You see, God was about far more in Saul's life than he is in our life as well. He's not about just the steps. He's about our heart. And a heart that takes the step is a heart that's yielded to him. And when you're yielded, that's when there's results that come. That's when there's fruit that comes. That's when there's more direction that comes. Amen. Are you with me? Let's watch what happens next. Because God's going to arrange something. I'm, I'm slicing out part of the story here for sake of time. But all the while God is working in Saul's life, God is working at the exact same time. Because we know God is a God who works in concert. At the same time he's working in Saul's life, he's working in another man's life called Ananias. This is a different Ananias than we'd met earlier. And God's speaking to this man, not Ananias, and he's saying, hey, there's going to be a man, Saul of Tarsus, who's going to come. I want you to go to him and talk to him. What? Are you kidding me? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. If I go to him, he's going to arrest me and take me and could kill me. I can't do that. Oh, yes, Ananias, I have something for you to do. Fortunately, the story with Ananias is much shorter than the story with Saul because Ananias says, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do the thing you want me to do. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but you gave me the instructions for the first step, and I'm going to take those because you can't get instructions for the second step until you've taken the, the first step. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Lord, here I am. All right, here I am, Lord, verse 15. After a small discussion, Ananias has this experience. But the Lord said to him, go, to speak to Saul, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Ananias, I've got something big. I want you to go tell Saul. It says in verse 17 that Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me. God was working in one man's life and God was working in another man's life. They both took the first step to come together. Verse 17, he says, I've come, Saul so that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately there fell something from his eyes, something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Wow. Neither of them knew what their first step was going to lead to, but they both took it. Saul to the city, Ananias to Saul. And what happened next was something completely unexpected. Saul, the hater of Jesus, became the lover of Jesus. Saul, the hardened man who was arrogant, became Saul, the man who's been humbled and will now be used by God. Saul received a promise. Saul you are going to speak to kings and to the children of Israel. I'm going to use you, Saul. Whoa. Something Saul would have never, ever expected came his way. 
God will use the unexpected in our lives to bring about the unexpected in our lives. We've all had stuff that's happened to us that we were caught off guard by. And you might even be in the midst of that right now. Something's happened to you and you think, I just don't know why this is happening to me. I can't figure it out. It's so painful. It's so distracting. I can't even make any sense of it. Welcome to the world of faith. This happens sometimes. The key is how will you respond in the moment? What will you do when the unexpected happens? Will you buck up? Will you run off? Will you refuse? Will you say no? Or will you do exactly what Saul did when he said, What do you want me to do, Lord? You see, this is where real power happens. I'm beginning to wrap up now for you. Real power waits in the second step. The first step is just to see if you're paying attention. The first step says, go to the city. The first step to Ananias, go to Saul. Nothing too dramatic at that point. But it's in the second step where big things begin to happen. Noah, I want you to build an ark. Really? Okay. He builds the ark. God brings animals. Whoa. What happens in the second step is always bigger than what happens in the first step. Moses. I want you to take off your shoes, Moses. You're on holy ground. Moses takes them off. And then what happens in the second step is where God unveils his plan for his life. Is in the second step. That's where the power always comes, in the second step. Jesus says, bring those loaves and fishes to me, even though they're small. That was the first step. Then Jesus blessed them, and they were multiplied. That's the second step. The power is always in the second step. Mary, show me where you've laid Lazarus. First step, Jesus, Lazarus, come forth. Second step, the power always comes in the second step. But if you never take the first, you'll never know the second. Saul took the first and Saul took the second. It says in verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. Saul began to do what he never expected he would be doing. Verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied at a time when the church was being persecuted. One man chose to take the first step and the second step, and everything changed. The Spirit of God began to, or continued His work. Lives were being radically changed, and the church, instead of being terrified, was now with great peace. Last screen for today. God uses what we never expected to shape us into what we never expected. Now, I know that in the room today, we are all at different places, different layers of faith, different layers of walking with Christ. But I also know this. Some of you have had some unexpected things show up in your life. You weren't planning on them. And for some of you, it was a very good thing that happened. Blessings. But for some, it was something painful, something difficult, something that brought you not just to your knees but to your face. And you're still in the process. You're still trying to take in what's happened to you. You're still in a little bit of shock because the unexpected has happened. For some of you, the moments come, God's given you the first step and you've taken it and you're waiting now for second step instructions because you know that's when the real power comes. But regardless, you're still in the steps and you're waiting. It's there 
that we gather to encourage one another. It's why God provided an Ananias for Saul in the midst of his steps. So part of what we are called to be and do as a church is to care for one another in the steps, right? In the midst of it, while we're still hearing from God. What I'd like to do for our response time today is this. Some of you are at a place where you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You haven't even taken that step yet, but all of a sudden there's this heart-pounding thing happening right now. And you can't, you know it's not going to end until you get up and say, I need to know Jesus Christ. For some of you, it's to take the step and be baptized. You've, you've made that first step, but there's a second step of being baptized, of making it public, of where real strength and power comes. We're going to be baptizing next Sunday morning. And this may be the time that God's speaking to you and saying, this is your time. This is your time to make it public. This is your time to take the next step with me. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you if that's the case to come. We're going to have two counselors waiting right here. And they will joyfully receive you, talk with you, pray with you. But here's the other thing I'd like to do this morning. I'm going to ask in just a moment that if you're in the middle of the steps and you'd say, I need someone to just pray for me, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I'll have you all stand. And if you're not one raising your hand, I'm going to ask you to look for someone who is raising their hand so that you can go to them and pray for them. Now, you might just be part of a group that gathers there to just silently pray. But you might be one who's called to go there and truly voice a prayer for them. If you're the one raising your hand, this isn't your time to have to tell your story. You don't have to unfold it all, unpack it all. The fact that you're going to raise your hand is going to be enough for everyone to know they're in the steps. And you can go and you can pray for them in the steps. Amen? This is what we're called to as a church, to encourage, to lift up the hands that hang down. So let's stand. Everybody can stand. I'm going to pray. And when I finish, if you would say, pray for me today. Just keep your hand up until some folks have come and gathered to pray for you. And we'll take some time to do just that. I'll close that time in prayer, and then we're going to sing and worship the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that what you've called us to is a journey.